Well, if you have your Bibles, may I encourage you to turn to the book of John. Book of John, and we want to uh, look at chapter 11 this morning. We've been working through a series on transitioning well, talking about closure, talking about grief, talking about loss, moving through things in our life. And we want to see what the Lord has for us this morning. And may I encourage you as well to uh, pull open your bulletin. There's an outline there if you would like to uh, follow along, make down some notes, uh, write down any questions you may have, and uh, I'd be glad to sit and visit with you uh, over those questions you may have, and if you have any at all. It's been actually a great pleasure to visit you. Uh, I've been getting through it. I don't have uh, a method. I just kind of randomly open up the directory and start calling and moving through it. And so it's been uh, quite enjoyable in the last uh, couple months. I think I'm almost up to about 60 different ones that I've visited, and it's kind of really exciting just to get to know you. And so uh, if you want to visit, may I encourage you to get a hold of Amanda, and she's got my time schedule too there, and she'd love to get you booked in. But uh, I do like visiting and getting to know you, so just uh, remember that, keep a note of that, if you will. So John chapter 11, and if you have your, don't have your Bible, but if you have your phone and it's got an app on that, great, use that as well. If you're a human being, there's high probability that your heart has or even now is broken. We've all experienced it. And if you haven't, my news for you is it's going to come. It's a piercing, it's a hole, a ripping, sometimes caused by betrayal. It's disappointment. It may even be loved that's been refused, or maybe it's been taken away or violated. Hopes, dreams expectations they get crushed it may have been caused by an umpteen number of different kinds of losses leading to an inevitable grief in our life and we're human and although Christ is our Lord and our Savior doesn't mean that we're saved from this kind of stuff. We go through it. And we work through it. And regardless of the details, you are left with an unpleasant feeling like none other that you've ever experienced or you ever want to again. And that's why we lift each other up in prayer. And I really want to encourage you, encourage you to write down your prayers. You don't have to give your name, but we want to lift you up. That's what the body is for. That's what God asks us to do in his word. And perhaps it's these times more than any other that we most wonder, does anybody know? Does anybody care? This morning, 
Like I mentioned, we want to carry on in this series of transitioning well. And we'll be looking at Scripture for an understanding and guidance regarding our struggles with grief and all types of loss. You see, losses and grief are an inevitable part of our lives in this world that has been corrupted by sin. The real struggle is not in avoiding these times, but in learning how to understand and how to deal with them when they do come. Dr. Gary Collins defines grief this way. Grief is a normal response to the loss of any significant person, object, or opportunity. Okay, so grief comes in many different forms. The Grief Recovering Institute says this, grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss. Grief is emotional, not intellectual. All right? Emotional is often the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about. How do we handle this emotion? How do we talk about this elephant in the room? A helpful equation which proves itself in all instances is this. Change equals loss equals grief. Now, most often and naturally, we connect grief with death. When a loved one passes away, when my mother passes away, we equate it with death. But it's important to realize that grief can be caused by any significant emotional loss, such as a few of these that I'll list. Divorce. Loss of job, retirement. Suddenly, you're not able to do physically what you used to be able to do. A significant geographic move. All of a sudden, you've lived your whole life in Pinocchio, and God has changed things, and you're moving completely someplace different. Losing a home or valued possessions. Many of us have experienced this one, empty nest, when our kids grow up and they move on. The realization that a long-held belief is real, is part of me, is wrong. (laughs) A breaking of any significant relationship. Change equals loss equals grief. You've had a pastor for 39 years. He is retired. And that change equals loss equals grief. So let's dive into what the writer in John chapter 11 has to say about this. John chapter 11 
verses 1 through 46. A lot of verses, so let me just kind of give you a snapshot of what's happening here. I'll start off with reading it, and then I'll go from there. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha, her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who came and poured perfume on the Lord and was wiping his feet with his hair, her hair. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So the writer of this is setting it up so we understand who this is. So Mary is the one that was washing Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair. So she had a close relationship with Jesus. She knew him. And when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when, the Lord, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. He didn't get up and run right away to the hospital. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judah. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep. But I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant of natural sleep. Like, if he's sleeping, why do we got to go? And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so Jesus travels with the disciples to go see his good friend Lazarus. And when they get there, we pick up the story in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Jesus, he grieved. There was change. There was loss. And he was moved by grief. It was a cave with a stone that laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's going to be a very strong odor. For he had been there for four days in heat. And then Jesus said, 
Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and then he, Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing around here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his feet and his hands wrapped in strings of linen and clothes around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What a powerful thing. What a powerful thing it would have been to be able to stand there and witness God doing this powerful act. You see, too often we hear and believe that grief and loss is simply something to be accepted, endured, lived with, or even to survive from. You see, grief is typically treated as something to be gotten over with as soon as possible. Or certain things are not seen as worthy of grief. Sometimes our world, and sometimes we fall into this, if we're not impacted the same way as you are, then you have a problem with grief. There doesn't seem to be any room for people responding differently when it comes to grief. I I remember this as a little boy. Someone passed away in my family. We weren't allowed to go to the funeral. It wouldn't be good for us to see that as a kid. I remember indirectly being seen and told that real men don't cry. Or don't be a crybaby. You see, our, our culture trivializes tragedy and loss. We watch all the devastation on the evening news of what's happening overseas, but we're just given the facts. There's no opportunity to grieve, and and the media works that big time. And they show us lots of graphic pictures, and we see what's happening, and and there's just no time for grief. Children dying of starvation. Masses killed by earthquakes. You see, we should pause to give grief and to grieve such tragedies. They should bother us. But in Christ, there can be and should be recovery from losses and grief. And while we're going to dive into it this morning, and the topic in Scripture primarily focuses on the death of Lazarus, 
Just remember, in this example, the specific loss addresses, addressed involved death. But don't lose, sides, size, uh, don't lose sight of the fact that all these principles that we're going to see from Scripture equally help us with the loss of any kind. And it's not just death. Okay? So let us dive into it. John chapter 11, verses 1 and 3. We're at death's door. We begin this journey at the realization that a great loss is about to be experienced. And when that happens in our lives, the first thing that comes out is fear. And though the timing and severity and manner may differ, even the thought of an impending loss will ultimately result in feelings of fear. When I sit down with brothers and sisters and they have a loved one that's going to be with the Lord in glory, there's fear because there's loss. What am I going to do without them? What's going to happen to me? Fear of the loss itself, fear of change, the fear that comes with feeling helplessness, the fear of having no control in this situation. And we experience it all. And that fear can cause us to think we just need to take matters in our own hand. We need to do what we know we need to do. Sometimes that fear runs into the church body when a pastor retires, when other pastors move on. We just need to get a new pastor, and then everything will be okay. Expectations. At these times also, we quickly form expectations for what we think we can or can't be done to change things for the positives. And so we think we just need to start looking for a new pastor. Or as some of you are working through the change, we just need to wait it out for a year or more, and then Paul will be back. And then we can connect to him. And we can move on. And we go through all these different changes in our life. And in this case, the sisters sent message to Jesus with the implied hope and expectation that he may intervene and prevent this loss from happening. And we see that in verses 1 through 3. They sent a message to Jesus. Your best friend, the one you love. It's very sick. The sisters, they had personally seen and experienced Jesus' power. And they had genuine faith that he could and he can and perhaps will do so. He will come and their brother won't die. 
We, we accept the fact. As children of God, and we believe that all things are possible in Christ, that He loves us deeply, and He wants the best for us. And we too, in the moments of our impeding loss, we're apt to turn to Jesus and His power, and we ask Him to change things. How often, we often slip and struggle in our own expectations. You see how he will answer those prayers and demonstrate his deep love for us, his unlimited power, his shining glory may not match what we were expecting. And like Lazarus' sisters, we tend to automatically assume that because he loves us, And those that he is concerned about has the power to heal the situation and that he will do so and then it doesn't happen the way we want. See, standing at the door of loss and impeding grief, our best and our most fruitful reaction is to reach out to Jesus. No matter how far distance he may seem to be, we need to reach out to him. Jesus loves and cares for us. We see that in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Scripture makes a special point here to affirm that Jesus did indeed deeply love and care for Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Now, why did the writer bring that out? Because we will see his perfect expression and act of love does not always take the form that we assume it should be or well or must be. And when we don't realize this and accept this, then even where his love is abundantly present, we falsely feel and see indifference. We'll see apathy, even coldness. I have a couple close friends I'm walking with that have gone through this. And it's not in the death of a loved one. It's the loss of a job. It's not being able to do what they used to be able to do, the other one. And they've been crying out to God, and they've been asking for it, and now their conclusion is, he doesn't care. He hasn't been there. He doesn't know. Apart from an understanding and acceptance and faith that Jesus truly loves us and that nothing can separate us from his love, it's easy to see something else. And then we get captivated and we become captive to an unrelenting fog of grief, of bitterness, of hopelessness. And in moments of loss and grief, our sin-corrupted nature conspires to enslave our thoughts and feelings that are chained strictly to the painful present and unresolving past. 
And this, my friends, is the most single greatest cause of pain in our grief, and it's an inhibitor to recovery. We see this. Jesus immediately responds to the situation. However, he clearly instructs us to, through his eyes, open up to the fuller reality of eternal, eternal perspective. You see, only then will we be able to see and understand and even experience the unexplainable peace and joy that Jesus will indeed demonstrate. And that through faith we can now accept that how he did and did not respond to our impeding loss was a perfect expression of love and grace for the glory of God. Which leads us to verses 6 and 7. The wait. The wait. Jesus actively responds to our cries for help. And they're often either immediately not in the form that we desire or expect or think is necessary. We cry out to God. Change the situation. Lord, help my bones not be so arthritic. Take this pain away, Lord. And the need to wait and trust is essential. And it's a common component of our faith in Christ. It's incredible when we can go through that journey to wait of how our faith grows in Christ. You see, nothing will stop us coming. When it's time, nothing will stop him from responding to our pleas as he knows best. That's what this story is all about. You see, the sisters had one thing in mind. Come now, Lord. Come now. Then our brother won't die. Because we know you can do this. And then he delays. What in the world are you doing? Why are you delaying? And the disciples, they didn't get it. Kind of interesting. You know? Well, if he's just sleeping, what's the rush? <laughs> like, why do we need to do that? And they, and they were thinking about, why do you want to go there? Because that's, that's where you got stoned last time. Like, come on. And then he shows up. <laughs> and he says, roll away that stone. Can you imagine Martha and Mary? Well, come on, Lord. He's been dead for four days. You missed it. Dealing with grief. Verses 17 through 39. Jesus responds to our grief and loss through a process that spans time. And we too must deal with grief through a process that spans time. Grief does not just happen and get done with in one sitting. 
It doesn't happen. Verse 19, we need community comfort. In what may seem as an unimportant detail, Scripture makes an intentional point that we are to respond to one another's individual losses and grief through the comfort of our own presence and community. This is why we want to walk with you. This is why we want you to share with us the aches and the pains, the job losses, the hardships you're going through, the kids walking away from God, all the things you're going through. We want to walk with you. Individual grief is unique, verse 20. Notice that Martha and Mary, though both facing the same situation and their circumstances, their brother's death, and the apparent late arrival of Jesus, I mean, he showed up late, they responded to their loss and their expressions of grief differed from each other. You'll see that in verse 20. Let me just sit, read it for you. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. You're too late, God. You showed up too late. Martha ran out there. Our expressions are different and unique as we ourselves are, as we go through loss, as we go through change, we handle it all differently. Even as spouses, we handle it differently. You see, loss and grief always bring us with the crossroads of faith. In moments like these, when the raw nerves are exposed, reality is unavoidable, undeniable, sometimes ugly, and we personally, our personal expectations are not met, then our faith is tested and defined. This is where, this is where the rubber hits the road. Just because we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, just because we become children of God, does not equal an easy life. Does not equal that we're not going to go through hard times. And our faith is tested, and it gets defined. In moments, in these moments, we have only two choices regarding our faith. We can either trust Jesus completely or we can doubt him. And as a walk with my friends, this is where they're at. They're doubting him. He's never been there for me. They're not seeing that God has always carried them through. And it would be very uncompassionate for me to tell them that. 
but God is there. Mary did the same thing. Martha ran out to meet him. Mary, like, what's the point? Twice in this event, Scripture emphasizes the anger that even Jesus himself experiences when confronted with loss and grief. And we see that in verses 33 and 38. Let's look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come alongside her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then if you go to verse 38, once more, Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. The example of Jesus shows us that anger is a normal and healthy response to loss and grief. Verse 33, the word anger means quaking with rage. And in verse 38, a different word is used, which literally means this, to roar or to snort with anger like a lion or a bull. This is real. This is, this is deep, heartfelt anger. This is powerful stuff because we all go through loss. Change equals loss equals grief. In my mind, why did my mother have to go? Why didn't he heal her? Does this mean any and all anger is appropriate, even righteous? That's not what I'm saying, absolutely not. The issue is not if we experience anger, but rather how and why. You see, if we examine closely, you should recognize that the second thing we learn from Jesus' anger is this situation. What or who is the appropriate object of our anger? Some would quickly surmise that Jesus is angry with himself for not getting there sooner. And if I would have only gotten there sooner, then my friend would not die. However, this conclusion is completely inconsistent with everything else we are taught in this passage and throughout the rest of Scripture. It goes against the character of Christ. Rather, the context tells us that the object of Jesus' intense anger is the reality of death itself. The destruction of sin specifically. Because of that sin, there became death. Way back in Adam and Eve. The source. You may want to write this down. The source of our loss, of our grief and suffering according to the word of God is plain and simply the extents and the feeding of sin in our lives and the world. That is where all the anger, our anger should be directed at. Sin. 
And as Jesus does, we are ultimately to express that anger by turning to the power of Christ to overcome sin and his dreadful consequences. We sang about that this morning. About turning to Christ. Verse 35 and 36, the word wept reflects a physical trembling that includes profusion of tears. Again, we are starkly see the deep love of Jesus and we're reminded that his delay in coming and his chosen means of addressing this grief, this great loss, were in fact the result of his great and perfect love. The Jews who were present didn't get it at first. Tim Keller is a writer, pastor. He's passed away now, but a pastor of, of a Presbyterian church. He wrote this. When Jesus weeps, we see that he doesn't believe that the ministry of truth, that is telling people how they should believe and turn to God, or the ministry of fixing things is enough, does he? He also is a proponent of the ministry of tears. The ministry of truth and power without tears isn't Jesus. We have to have tears. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. Our old says, pull up your boots. What we're realizing in the society today is that our emotions are not the caboose of the train. They're the engine that's running the train. And another picture that's really good for me is our emotions are a big elephant and our intellect is that little person sitting on this big elephant trying to control him, trying to steer this elephant. It's okay to have tears. It's okay to weep. It's okay to be angry at sin. Because often our grief and loss are because of that. In verses 38 and 39, all loss, even that which will soon be redeemed and resurrected, will entail stench and filth for a time. There will be stench, there will be filth. And our role is to accept this in light of God's eternal perspective. I want to put this all together for us this morning. Verses 40 to 44. We will see that our journey through the valley of shadows ultimately comes down to how we choose to answer one and all important question. In those great moments of pain and despair, when we cry out, Why, God, why, where are you? Why don't you care? Are you not here? 
that is this. Do you truly believe in Jesus and the one who sent him? Do you believe in his goodness, faithfulness, and love? Do you believe that nothing can separate us from these things if we are in Christ by grace through faith? Will you trust him even when the air around you is full of stench and darkness? Another commentator that I enjoy reading, James Vernon McGee, he points this out. Martha believed in a resurrection. But listen, it makes less demand upon our faith to believe that in a future day we will receive glorified bodies than it does to rest now on the assurance that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's easier to believe that the Lord is coming and the dead will rise than it is to believe that tomorrow I can live for God. It's so easy to comfort people who are mourning and say, well, you will see your loved ones someday. That really doesn't take much faith. It takes a lot of faith to say, I have just, just lost my loved one, but I am comforted with the assurance that God is with me and he does all things well. You see, although Martha knew from the Old Testament that there would be a resurrection from the dead, she didn't believe that Jesus could come for her now. Don't miss the extraordinary importance of the fact that Jesus does not just declare that there will be a resurrection, but he is the resurrection and life. And if you have him as your Lord and Savior, you can rest in that. You can have peace in that. The choices remain. 45 and 46. We too frequently face the same choice. Will we believe in Jesus in all things and live for him? Or will we doubt and as a result conclude that these things remaining is the death? He doesn't care about us. Ingrid wrote this, reflecting on the death of her husband, who was a godly man whose writings had ministered to millions. She wrote this, It took me many years to learn that no man on this earth can satisfy the deeping longings of a woman's heart. Only one can do that. He is also the only one who can help me live with that deep hole, that deep heart pain part of me in my heart. The pain is still there. He hasn't filled it up yet. 
but he has made a bridge over it. I can live with it now. I can stand on this bridge and reach out to others. All of you are going through change. All of you have experienced loss, which equals grief. And may I really encourage you, as you personally go through these times, to stand strong in God. Focus your eyes on the Lord. As we go through it as a church body, may I encourage you, keep our eyes on God. Keep our eyes on God. May we have the desire to want God's will, God's plan. When he doesn't go the speed that we think he should, let us keep our eyes on him. Let me pray as we have the worship team come back up here this morning. Lord, just thank you. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you have given us this great example of how you are in control. Lord, may we just focus upon you. We cry out to you in all the different things that we're going through. Lord, may we stand strong on you. And just pray us things in your name. Amen.